Today we're looking at Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11, all the way to chapter 3, verse 32. As we come to God's Word now, let's open up in prayer. Please pray with me. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, be with us as we open up your Word. Give us ears to hear, hearts to understand, and hands ready to apply your Word to our lives. Father, I pray be with me as I now preach your word. Anoint me for this task. Please be with each of us. Work powerfully in our church here this morning. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Women's self-defense encourages women, if they are being attacked or threatened, to attack the most sensitive areas of the male body. Our one area that is encouraged is the heel palm strike to the nose. I've heard it said that all it takes is nine pounds of pressure to break someone's nose. So in other words, a well-placed strike to the nose will leave most men teary on the ground with a broken nose. Uh, Most men, after being hit in certain weak, sensitive areas, will find it very difficult to pick themselves up from the ground. Uh, Everything has a weak spot. Things that may seem strong and sturdy could easily crumble if you attack the right spots. Uh, What would make the church fall? What are our weak spots? I remember being told we are only ever one generation away from the church collapsing. Uh, So what makes the church stand firm? What are our strengths and what prevents the church from falling down and collapsing? Are the greatest support, strength, tool, you name it, that we, the church, have is the faithful proclamation of the gospel. How we preach and teach the sufficiency and the work of Christ. This is the means in which we preserve the gospel. Here at Cornerstone Presbyterian Church, we preach that Christians are saved, not by any work of their own, but completely through the work of Christ on the cross and His continual intercession. We are saved by Christ alone, by grace alone. Martin Luther said this, justification, Christ's sufficient work, is the article by which the church stands or falls. As a church, when we no longer preach the gospel, we then open ourselves up to foreign influence. We open up ourselves to disgrace and shame. When we fail to preach the gospel, the church will crumble and fall. In our passage today, Nehemiah shows us the plight of the Jews, that they are not safe that they are vulnerable to foreign attack and foreign influence from the nations around them. Our passage today, in many ways, is a warning to us to not neglect our responsibilities, but to keep striving, to keep ensuring that we have a strong wall. And Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11, all the way to chapter 3, verse 32, is a reminder to the church 
to safeguard themselves from foreign influence, the need to erect strong defences to protect themselves from false teaching, from false gospels. Uh, today we're going to work from the following three points. Our first point, the inspection of the wall. Our second, the plans for the wall. And our third point, the building of the wall. In our first point, the inspection of the wall, we look at verse 11, and we are told that once in Jerusalem, Nehemiah was there for three days. Uh, what was Nehemiah doing during those three days? On the one hand, he probably needed some time to rest. Uh, it's a long journey from Susa all the way to Jerusalem, a journey of four months. But on the other hand, he needed to also make a first-hand assessment of the state that Jerusalem was in. And I want to suggest that under the cover of needing rest, Nehemiah was actually doing reconnaissance work. While everyone thought he was sleeping and resting, during the night he inspected the wall. Have a look at verse 12 to 15 with me. I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. If you wanted to do something without drawing attention, you do it at night. You do it while everyone is sleeping. During World War I, the sending out of patrols into no man's land under the cloak of darkness was a normal occurrence. In some of these cases, men in small groups would be sent out to try and get as far as possible into enemy lines to gather information that could help the following day. So under the cloak of darkness, with a few men who Nehemiah perhaps trusted and also knew the walls and the lay of the land, he went out and he inspected the walls. And Nehemiah, upon inspection, he sees that the walls have been broken down. The gates have been destroyed. And Nehemiah sees just how much trouble Jerusalem is in. What about us? If we were to evaluate the state of our church today, what conclusions would we come up with? If we look at our own church, Cornerstone Presbyterian Church, and we're to evaluate what we are doing as a church, and we evaluate how we are going and proclaiming the gospel, are being partakers in God's plans of restoration, what conclusions would we come up with? Would we say that we are going well? Would we say that we are in trouble? A great way of evaluating how we're going is to use some sort of tool or framework. And I think a great tool that we have as a Presbyterian church is our confession. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, in chapter 25.3, we are told that Christ has given to us 
his church, the ministry, oracles, and ordinance for the gathering and perfecting of God's saints. That the church has been equipped with preachers and teachers. The church has been given God's word. And the church has been entrusted with the sacraments to mature and to reach those whom God has called. Our friends, it's through these ordinary means that the church grows. Uh, this means, as we look at our ministries, our Sunday service, our growth groups, our youth group, Corner Pebble, outreach ministries, any courses that we run, our prayer meetings, uh, we have to examine ourselves, examine these ministries, and ask, are our people growing in an understanding of the gospel? Are our ministries making known the gospel to those around us? As we look at our church and evaluate how we're going in proclaiming the good news of what Jesus has done, is doing, and what he will do, and being partakers in God's plans, uh, what conclusions would we come up with? Would we say that we are going well? that we are fulfilling the duties that our Lord Jesus has given to us? Or would we come up with the same conclusions that Nehemiah has as he looks at the walls? Uh, you and I may come up with different conclusions, but I want to pause for a second and I want to say this. Here at our church, we have a bunch of great ministries happening. We have two prayer meetings. We have a youth group, Corner Pebble, various ministries. Our RAF, one of our elders, reminded us last week that we have a number of growth groups which are committed to growing our members. He reminded us the value of joining these growth groups. And he encouraged our young people especially to consider joining a group. He said, we need your energy. And to our young people, if you feel as if you're stagnating right now, a lot of wisdom and encouragement can be found in our growth groups. As Nehemiah inspects the wall, he sees how much trouble Jerusalem is in. The gates have been broken. The walls have been destroyed. And we see that once he has inspected the walls and is informed about the state of Jerusalem, he then gathers the people to tell them of his plans. And this leads us to our second point, the plans for the wall. Uh, up until this point, Nehemiah hasn't told anyone of his plans. He has kept it hidden, just in case there were spies within the walls. But once he has done his analysis and has concluded that the walls are broken down, that Jerusalem is in trouble, that they are in disgrace, that they are in shame, he calls the Jews to himself, and this is what he says. Look at verse 17. Verse 17, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Our Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. If you were a Jew listening to this, what might have you been thinking, feeling? Perhaps you're thinking, 
uh, we can't build the wall. Uh, if we start building the wall, our enemies will write to the king again and say that we are rebelling, that we seek to set up a king to oppose him. Uh, in Ezra chapter 4, verse 7 to 23, this is exactly what happened. Have a look and turn with me to Ezra chapter 4, verse 7 to 23. Let me read for us from verse 7. And in the days of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Bishlam, Mithradath, Tabil, and the rest of his associates wrote a letter to Artaxerxes. The letter was written in Aramaic script and in the Aramaic language. Reham, the commanding officer, and Shimshai, the secretary, wrote a letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes, the king, as follows. Reham, the commanding officer, and Shimshai, the secretary, together with the rest of their associates, the judges, officials, administrators, over the people from Persia, Uruk and Babylon, and Elamites of Susa, and the other people whom the great and honorable Ashurbar Nippal deported and settled in the city of Samaria and elsewhere in Trans-Euphrates. This is a copy of the letter they sent him. To King Artaxerxes, from your servants in Trans-Euphrates, the king should know that the people who came to us from you have gone to Jerusalem and are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. They are restoring the walls and repairing the foundations. Furthermore, the king should know that if this city is built and its walls are restored, normal taxes, tribute or duty will be paid and eventually the royal revenues will suffer. Now since we are under obligation to the palace and it is not proper for us to see the king dishonored, we are sending this message to inform the king so that a search may be made in the archives of your predecessors. In these records, you will find that this city is a rebellious city, troublesome to kings and provinces, a place with a long history of sedition. That is why this city was destroyed. We inform the king that if this city is built and its walls are restored, you will be left with nothing in Trans-Euphrates. The king sent this reply to Reham, the commanding officer, Shimshai, the secretary, and the rest of their associates living in Samaria and elsewhere in Trans-Euphrates. Greetings. This letter you sent us has been read and translated in my presence. I issued an order and a search was made and it was found that this city has a long history of revolt against kings and has been a place of rebellion and sedition. Jerusalem has had powerful kings ruling over the whole of Trans-Euphrates and taxes, tribute and duty were paid to them. Now issue an order to these men to stop work so that this city will not be rebuilt until I so order. Be careful not to neglect this matter. Why let this threat grow as a detriment of the royal interests? As soon as the copy of, this, of the letter of King Artaxerxes was read to Reham and Shimshai, the secretary, and their associates, they went immediately to the Jews in Jerusalem and compelled them by force to stop. Uh, this scene before us is what you may call a flash forward in Ezra chapter 4. In those first five verses of Ezra 4, we are told that since the return of the exile, there has always been opposition. And the author proceeds to tell the reader here in great detail of how bad the opposition was by giving examples. And so he tells them of this flash forward, of an example of how the opposition was great. Uh, just like in movies, we have flashbacks or flash forwards in time to give us depth to the story. And this is what 
is done in Ezra 4. The author is giving depth to the reader of the trials and opposition that were faced by the Jews as they sought to build the walls previously. So from Ezra chapter 4, we learn that a decree was made by King Artaxerxes to postpone the building of the walls. And this would have been done in the last 20 years. So if you were a Jew listening to Nehemiah, you would have been afraid. Afraid of what the king might do. Afraid that the king will come and destroy the efforts you have made in rebuilding the wall previously and seek to do now. You are afraid that he might come and destroy the remnant that has returned to Jerusalem. Uh, we can often feel like this as we seek to share the gospel. That if we share our faith with those around us, and instead of listening, they may attack and retaliate attack our beliefs. So perhaps we rationalize, like the Jews of Nehemiah's time, that it's better to not lift up our heads and just try to maintain the status quo. But Nehemiah is telling us that if we keep the status quo, the Jews will remain in danger. In danger of being destroyed by opposition. In danger of being destroyed by foreign influence. Uh, if we too keep the status quo, keep quiet and not lift up our heads, in one generation, will Cornerstone Church still be here? Look then what Nehemiah does. He provides the Jews with words of comfort. Have a look now at verse 18. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me, and what the king had said to me, they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Uh, with these words that God was with them, and that the king even decreed that it was safe for them to rebuild, uh, the Jews were given newfound hope, newfound hope to rebuild the wall. They said, let us start rebuilding. Uh, when we are feeling afraid, we too need to depend on God. In those moments when we come before God in prayer and find comfort and strength in Him, we need to be doing this. We need to cling to the promises that our Lord Jesus has made to us. Uh, the Jews had dropped the ball and they ceased to do the work that God had called them to do. Friends, we can't drop the ball. We need to continue the restorative work that our Lord has given us. This restorative work is the proclaiming of the gospel. You and I need to make the person and work of Christ known to those around us. Make it known in the church. Make it known in our workplace, amongst our friends and family. How as you do this, be warned that you will face opposition. Our verse 19 tells us that as soon as the Jews started building... They were met with mocking and jeering. Uh, you and I will also face opposition. But see what Nehemiah does in response to these words. He knows that their words have no power. He knows they have no power because God is with them. Verse 20, Nehemiah says, The God of heaven will give us success. We are his servants. We will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. 
God will give them success, Nehemiah says. What a great reminder for us, isn't it? That when those around us are saying to keep quiet, keep your heads down, just keep the status quo, just like the Jews, we have to remind ourselves that God is with us. Our scripture reminds us that we are not alone, but that we have the Lord Jesus helping us, empowering us every step of the way. When Jesus gives us the great commission to go and make disciples, he tells us, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Christian, take comfort that as you do the work of restoration, declaring the gospel in both word and deed, as you seek to build and grow the church, you don't do it alone. You do it with the help and power of our Lord Jesus. With this reminder that God is with them, we then see the Jews rising up and building the wall. And this leads us to our third point, the building of the wall. Uh, Here in this chapter, we are given a list of people who partake in the building of the wall. Uh, When we come across lists in the Bible, I don't know about you, but I can see these lists and my eyes tend to glaze over them. And we encourage Samuel and we thanked him for reading this big list for us. Well done, mate. Um, But how many of us, as he read, just glazed over? When you and I come to these lists, sometimes we can feel that they detract from the story rather than adding to them. Uh, Greg Goswell, one of my lecturers from Christ College, talked about one of these lists from Nehemiah, and he said, "Uh, the modern reader does not find long lists of difficult Hebrew names very interesting. But he says there is a purpose for them. From this long list in chapter 3, I want to point out two things to take notice of. The first, the first thing to take notice of is that it is the people who build the wall. It is the people who build the wall. As we read this list, we are given 41 individuals, 41 groups who partake in the building of the wall. And do you notice that among the names mentioned in chapter 3, Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, is not mentioned? The building of the wall is normally attributed to Nehemiah. However, in our passage here in chapter 3, he isn't mentioned. The author of Ezra Nehemiah wants us to notice that it is the ordinary people who take part in the work of restoration. Ordinary people take part in the work of rebuilding the wall. In the last couple of weeks, we farewelled our minister, Campbell. And we might be thinking, what do we do now without a minister? Chapter 3 reminds us that it's not a minister who builds and grows the church. It's the people. I want to remind each of us here that the work of the gospel is not done by a minister or a group of elders. It's a work given to the entire church. In my growth group last term, we finished working through the book of Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 4, we are reminded that each of us has been called to the work of ministry for the building up of the church. And to the church, apostles, elders, evangelists, and teachers were given to equip the church. But the actual work is given to the people. As a church, 
the ordinary people of God, we have been given the task to build and grow the church, to proclaim and make the known the restorative work of God, to make known His plans so that what Christ is doing. And then the second thing that this list shows us is that those who partake in this work have their names recorded, and those who did not participate, their names aren't. In chapter 3, verse 5, we are told that the nobles of the Tekoites did not stoop down and serve the Lord. Uh, their names are not recorded. As Christians, by our actions, we show that we have been changed and transformed by the gospel. In the book of James, we are reminded that we show our faith by our actions. John the Baptist, as he prepared the way for Jesus, he declared a message of repentance. And he said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Campbell shared with me a story a few weeks ago that during one of the baptism classes, he was covering the topic of repentance. And he said and shared the story that repentance is more than saying sorry for your sins. Repentance is a turning away from your former life, doing a 180 and completely turning to God. And by way of illustration, during this baptism class, he actually grabs a trophy. He suggested that this trophy is like one of our idols. And feeling solid in his hands, he says we have to be prepared with our idols to discard them, to throw them away, and to destroy them, and to turn to God. And so what did he do? He threw this trophy on the ground, and it broke into a hundred pieces. Uh, This was a powerful illustration for those listening, that repentance is more than just saying sorry. It's prepared to completely destroy your idols, to turn away from them, to do that 180, and to follow God and live for Him completely. Uh, If we are to be partakers in God's plan for restoration and fulfilling the commands that our Lord Jesus has given us to go and declare the gospel, then that means that by our actions, by our words, we need to be living gospel-transformed lives. Lives turning away from idolatry and turning to God. By our actions, we will show that we have embraced the gospel. I can't help but think of the parable of the talents at this point. In this parable, our Lord Jesus tells us that He has gone away, and to the church He has given to us the gospel. And we, we, his church, have been entrusted with the gospel, not to bury it, to not live a privatized faith, but we are to ensure that the gospel increases and is made known. Just like the builders of the wall were called to the work of restoration, we too are called to the work of restoration in declaring and living out the gospel. We are to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And on that day when the Lord Jesus returns, He will see our talents and He will say to us, here is your name written in the book of life. Come, join in your master's happiness. But to others who have claimed to have known Christ but not have done the work, even though they may say, Lord, and try to convince Jesus that they are Christian, our Lord Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Uh, Woe to those who do not have their names written in the book of life. 
So Cornerstone, I need to ask you at this point, are you partaking in the work that our Lord Jesus has given us? Are you making the gospel known to those around us? And when we stand before the Lord Jesus, will he say to you, will he say to us, well done, good and faithful servant, come, join in your master's happiness. Are those here in our passage, had their names written down, have shown that when the Lord told them to rebuild the house of God, to build the walls of Jerusalem, they are the ones who took part in this work of restoration. This list is a testimony of ordinary people who did the work they were called to do. Let me end with this. When we stop living out the gospel, when we no longer seek God, when we no longer seek to do the will of our Lord Jesus, then we've lost our way. Like the Jews, unless we stay focused on the work of restoration, we will end up in trouble. We will remain in distress, in shame, tossed to and fro by the opposition around us. During a storm, a boat will lose its bearings if it allows itself to be controlled by the sea. However, if the crew ensures that the boat stays on course, they will make it to their destination. Friends, by seeing the gospel as worth defending, worth promoting, the Christian will ensure that their life remains on track and they will continue to run the race which our Lord Jesus has placed us on. By continuing to faithfully preach the gospel, the church will stand firm that it will not be tossed to and fro by the gospels, the false gospels and teachers around us. It is through the faithful proclamation of the gospel that the church will grow, that the church will stand. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this warning from Nehemiah to ensure that we maintain a strong defense. Help us, your church, to build strong walls. Help us, your church, to continue to proclaim the gospel. Our Father, help us, your people, to continue to share and proclaim the gospel to those around us in both word and deed. And Father, I pray for the ministries we have here at Cornerstone. Lord, that your saints will continue to grow in their understanding of the sufficiency of Christ. And we also pray that through our ministries, that people who don't know you would come to know what Jesus has done, is doing, and what he will do. We pray this in his name. Amen. We ask you to stand for our last song.